Welcome to Wealthy Behavior, talking money and wealth with Heritage Financial, the podcast that digs into topics, strategies, and behaviors that help busy, successful people build and protect their personal wealth. I'm your host, Sammy Azuz, the president of Heritage Financial, a Boston-based wealth management firm working with business owners, executives, and retirees for longer than 25 years. Now let's talk about the wealthy behaviors that are key to a rich life. Welcome to the December investment edition of the Wealthy Behavior Podcast, where I talk to Heritage Financial's Chief Investment Officer, Bob Weiss, about what's going on in the markets and investment universe right now. And looking at things today, it does seem like there's a lot going on or that has been going on since we last recorded. We have the FTX implosion, protests in China over their zero COVID policy, inflation numbers are getting better, and the markets may be responding favorably to that. Bob, what's interesting to you? Where do you want to start? Well, Powell spoke yesterday, and we, we've been um, talking about the Fed and inflation. So, um, you know, that might be a natural place to start. Yeah, go dive right into it. I mean, those uh, those comments really uh, made the market pretty happy, right? Didn't the market rip up like at least three percent after he said what he said? Yeah. So, recapping a little bit, the last couple of months. Um, there was a Jackson Hole meeting where Powell spoke, and the Fed has these scheduled meetings with the, the, the press conferences, and it's very structured after their meetings. And then in between, there there are talking points. And Jackson Hole was the last like informal check-in, and he talked about economic pain that was going to come and inflation, how bad it was, and the markets crashed, and we, we had a, a bad run. We talked about that in in September, right? Because it took exactly. the market. The market had been recovering over the summer, and then just Powell came out and put some rain on that parade. Right. So, so the fear was going into yesterday. Oh, here comes Powell again. He's gonna he's gonna talk about <laughs> pain, and the markets are gonna sell off. And instead, he talked about how inflation data has a lag to it, which is something we talked about last. We've week. talked about that too. Yeah. Exactly. Like. Does he know and will he acknowledge that there's actually a lag in data? And he made it very clear that he is well aware that there's a lag to data and he is aware that uh, the economy is slowing, inflation is slowing, and he, all the things that the, the talking heads on CNBC, like Jeremy Siegel, are screaming about, like, doesn't he see all this stuff? And he sees it and he, he let us know it. Um, so, you know, that's just reassuring to markets that, okay, like he, the, the policy is working, he's recognizing that it's working and he's using language like we are, um, you know, getting closer to um, th the end of this rate hiking cycle. Like the, we're probably done with the 75 basis point increases. So um, the next one will probably be 50. And um, just overall that tone, I think, um, helps settle markets. And he, he wasn't the only one, I think other Fed officials had been saying it or similar things before he came out the other day with with his with his talk. Yes, yeah. So hearing the Fed officials all, um, you know, getting on the same page, and, and the data supports it because uh, um, the CPI data that came out since our last podcast in um, early to mid November was was pretty good as far right. as inflation's definitely slowing. Um, if you look at Core X Shelter, so asterisk. This is CPI excluding food, energy, and shelter, housing, it was negative for the month. So mm -hmm. uh, people are concerned about inflation all month over month. It was negative with things like used cars, prices going down, um, durable goods, lumber, all these things are, are actually declining. It's deflation. So uh, shelter is the, the biggest component that's actually increasing at, at a high level at um, eight tenths 
But um, with what's hap- happened in the housing market, seeing housing prices decline month over month, you know, we're feeling pretty confident that that'll that'll slow down too. So we think the Fed is getting close to winning the inflation battle, and um, you know that that's good for markets because rate hiking cycles can be painful, and, and um, hopefully this one's near an end. So inflation seems to be moderating, although it's it's still high, right? You're, you're, we're just talking about it moderating from levels that were extremely unattractive over the summer, you know, nine plus percent. And the good news is that the Fed does seem to be acknowledging that. Some of the concerns that you shared when we've talked in the past about whether they were going to see this lag in the data, they've come out and said, yep, Bob, we see the lag in the data. Don't worry. Um, you, you can count on us, But which is all good. And then the market had been responding well to that inflation data even before Powell came out the other day. I was looking at it, I think, since the third week in October. Markets are up double digits, and even the bond market's up five plus percent, I believe, because rates have have backed down. So uh, the market seems to be reacting favorably to this inflation news. Absolutely. Yeah, because it's it's uh, high inflation set the stock market and the bond market. And as that um, problem is going away, you know, both markets are appreciated in price. Anything you see in the market that's I- interesting along those lines? Or I, I know when whenever we talk lately, it's about inflation, it's about the Fed, and that's what's going to drive things. And that's what we started talking about. Is there anything else that you see going on or or that's relevant in the stock and bond market? Yeah, maybe in the stock market. I, I have uh, returns up in front of me just looking at broad indexes. Over the last one month, um, U.S. stocks up 4.6%, developed international 10.7%, emerging markets 152 Wow. It's almost 5, 10, 15. Emerging markets up about 15% over the last month. So, um, you know, there's research that shows that when you have high inflation, but slowing inflation, so high rate that's declining, that's the best environment for emerging markets. Jeffrey Klein, Tom Ed Schwab, likes written about that. And um, we're seeing that scenario right now and emerging markets are are performing well. And um, maybe as the segue, talk about China. Um, Yeah, I think that's a good segue because they have had some protests lately over their zero COVID policy. And so what's going on there and what's the potential impact, if any, to investors, or is it something to ignore? Yeah, that's, um, to be honest, surprised me when um, seeing the protests, that part didn't surprise me, but how markets reacted to them. Uh, When this was happening, there was the the Apple um, manufacturer Foxconn on Friday last week had protests. And then over the weekend, you know, pro-democracy demonstrations. And and, I mean, you've heard me talk about going to China in 2013, and it's not my favorite place in the world to visit. Um, Just the, the, the Communist Party there and just seeing how it's all run. It's it, it was a little unnerving, I, yes, I recall. A little, a little unnerving, <laughs> yes. And seeing the protest, you wonder how stable can that government be? What if there is an uprising? But the markets actually responded favorably to this. And the view is that the, the, the billion plus people in China do have power. And if they're pushing the government to reopen, pushing the government to take a, a, a lighter stance on COVID, that's good for the economy and that's good for the stock market. So uh, that market's been performing well. And, yeah, it's uh, interesting, kind of counterintuitive, but I do see what you're getting at there. Yeah. And we have also seen 
something that I probably need to touch on, even though you and I are are crypto skeptics uh, in terms of an investment. But we did have this FTX implosion, which I think is interesting in and of itself to potentially explain to people. But then I also believe you think it's a good way to explain something we haven't talked a lot about so far in the podcast, which is private investing, you know, venture capital, private equity, because some you know notable venture capital firms were caught up in this in a in a not so good way. The FTX um, debacle it, it, it is crazy, and I'm not gonna I'm not an expert on all the details of it. I actually don't even know if anyone is, including. Uh, <laughs> the man at the center of it. Um, but in a nutshell, when you look at cryptocurrencies, a, a fascinating website I've looked at, um, coinmarketcap.com, where you, you see all the cryptocurrencies out there and their market cap. So right now, Bitcoin's market cap is about $325 billion. So for $325 billion, you can have all the Bitcoin in the world. There are so many of these things. And you scroll through and it, it's just goofy and they have real values like the ton coin is worth 2.2 billion dollars i have no idea what that is but 2.2 billion dollars is real money and I'm, I'm rambling on about this because that's ftx is where people want to play with these things it was a an exchange, an exchange yeah exchange where crypto traders would go so you hear crypto and you think bitcoin but it's a lot deeper there's you know less mainstream cryptos than Bitcoin. And FTX was known for leverage, letting investors trade with leverage and lending their cryptocurrency. So you just talk about a, you know, a recipe for disaster. Talk about a place where you let people go to lever these, these fringe coins. Um, and then you have the, the cryptocurrency market sell off as it should. And, you know, levered investors, you know, get hurt. And uh, there's a run on the bank, everyone runs out, and there's not enough money there. So th that story kind of adds up to me. Um, now, th there's definitely some funny business. Like there, supposedly there was maybe a, a hack of customer funds. Who was involved in that? The timing of that seemed very suspicious. Um, but I've heard when you invest in cryptocurrency, you should plan on uh, losing 1% or 2% a year to hacks. So that's just just seeing all of this happen. I think is about as good of a case as, as one would need to stay away from investing in crypto. So, you know, sometimes there can be unintended consequences to mainstream investors or mainstream investing as an investor. If I stayed away from this stuff, is what does what's going on have any impact on my portfolio? Yeah, so that, that's a great question. Um, what we've seen when you, you kind of connect the dots of markets and investable assets is there is some correlation uh, um, between crypto and then maybe call it fringe financial um, market stocks. So I'm talking about non-profitable tech. Um, there's even like Sam Bankman-Fried was, was trying to sell his Robinhood stock as this was melting down. So that's almost like the exact connection I'm talking about. Robinhood, a, a fintech company that's not making money. So you have the people who are heavy in cryptocurrencies like to speculate in the stock market and you speculate on the stock market with high flying stocks that aren't making money. And, um, you know, boom bust typically looks like growth companies, small growth companies. So when you've seen the sell off in crypto, those players get hurt. They frequently might need to raise money and that can move into the stock market. 
Um, fortunately for us and our clients, we aren't speculators. We're not um, in, investing much in, in those markets. We're um, typically underweight companies that that aren't profitable, um, underweight small growth. So that's kind of the, the next level, the closest connection to the market that it hits the areas that um, have had froth that aren't supported by fundamentals, just like crypto isn't supported by fundamentals. So that would explain, Bob, why crypto and some other more speculative tech names seem to be correlated uh, this year um, and in prior years in terms of kind of running up and running down at the same time. One other question that we've had as it relates to this that's taken some clients and just people we know in life by surprise are some of the very prominent VC firms, venture capital firms that lost money in this FTX implosion. And I know you have some thoughts on, on that, both in terms of maybe defending some of them, um, but also explaining the pros and the cons of venture capital investing versus other types of private investing. Yeah, I, I too have been um, really surprised. There's some really prominent names um, that have been, that our investor were invested with FTX. Um, in, in their defense, or maybe to add some, some color to this, you know, you hear things like, well, there was no board of directors. What were they thinking? It's venture capital. And the, the, the rule of thumb with venture capital investing is a third of the companies they invest in go to zero, a third they get their money back if they're lucky, and a third are home runs. And that's what venture capitalists do. And if you hit that, if you hit those numbers where a third go to zero, a third you get your money back, and a third you're making 5x, 10x, you'll deliver very good returns to investors. So you're going into investing in companies as a VC with the expectation that there's a 33% chance this thing goes to zero. So they take risks like um, investing in companies that don't have great governance. They're not doing these scrubs that, that you'd see with more um, middle or large buyout funds where you're buying more cash flowing, profitable, stable businesses. Um, so th that's just one of the things that's they'll chalk it up to one of our losers and we're it just losers in our portfolio. It happens. This is VC. Yep. Buckle up. So interesting though, I did see that Sequoia had taken down something on their website connecting them to the FTX. So I wonder if it's just a matter of, well, you win some, you lose some in the VC world, why they needed to kind of disassociate themselves from it. I, I don't know. Um, but then how does that kind of connect to our view of how we invest in private companies, which is, I think, completely different than the venture capital approach? Yeah. So with VC, the, what I just explained, that there's a ton of risk there. Sure. It's, you know, you're, you're going to go to zero or you're going to go up 10x and everyone in between. Um, what you see in aggregate data is the average return of the average VC fund is about the same as the average return of the average private equity fund. Okay. Private equity, I'm, I'm talking about like large buyout fund, fund that's buying more established businesses. And these those funds don't have the third, the third, the third rule where a third of the things that they touch go to zero. So you're taking more risk in VC investing. Um, so you're taking more risk and you're not getting more return on average. So then it gets down to manager selection and there's huge dispersion. Um, if you're with the, the very best, best VC firms, you can do really well. And frankly, Sequoia, like the, some of the, the FTX players fit in that um, sure. area and they're very hard to gain access to because um, they raise small funds and it's, it's once you're in, you're in. Um, but there's just a, a lot of risk in VC investing. So we've tended to stay away from it. And we think we can get 
VC-like market returns with less risk in, in the um, middle and, and upper market. In okay. Practically. Sure. No, that makes sense. And obviously, if you can uh, have that uh, journey, it's uh, smoother uh, and smoother always uh, makes more sense for folks. You know, not to put you on the spot, but I'm going to put you on the spot. You sounded a little bit optimistic about the markets with inflation, with the, you know, what Powell said about rate hikes. And, you know, we talked a little bit about we did have a summer head fake before. Where are you these days in terms of whether we're going to go into a recession or not, or maybe we're already there? Does it matter? And do, do you think the market is has seen its lows and, you know, we've started to, to rebound upwards? Yeah. So when I look at the leading economic indicators released by the conference board, we've now had eight months in a row of declines. And to have eight months in a row of a decline in that level, it, it's always led to a recession. What's a leading economic indicator, Bob, just for, for so, people's benefit? Yeah. So um, broadly speaking, um, there, like there's a category of them, you could call them sentiment driven. So where they're, they're doing surveys, like how do you feel about the housing market? How do you feel about the economy? What you, why it's leading is there's a bit of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy there where it's like, oh, the future stinks. I'm worried about the future. Well, guess what? When you think that way, then you're going to act that way. And when you act that way, that's like spending less, that's recessionary type behavior. Like, where do you think the housing market's going? I think it's going down. Well, that person's likely not going to overbid on a house tomorrow. So there's a lot of negativity in uh, the sentiment surveys. So that's a leading economic indicator. And then there's also financial markets um, are part of the leading economic indicators. The big one is the yield curve. And seeing that the yield curve is heavily inverted, about 80% of the different ways you can measure the yield curve are inverted, basically meaning uh, shorter term yields are higher than longer term yields. So when you, you look at the leading economic indicators, it's really flashing red, like recession is coming. Okay. Uh, so it's it's hard to look at that and 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 disagree. So that that does you know the the conference board says probably starting late this year um, into Q1 Q2 of 2023. Uh, so you see that um, what we have not seen too much. We wrote a blog about this: are corporate earnings um, declining. Corporate earnings, if you exclude energy, are down in the, the single digit percentages, like down I think around five percent or so. Which it, it's down, but it's not um, recessionary magnitude down. If you play it out, and if a recession does come, there's more adjustments to be made in earnings, earning misses, and expectations coming down, analyst estimates coming down, and th- that would probably hit markets a little bit as investors adjust. So I don't think we're out of the woods yet. Um, it's not like off to the races. Fed's done. Um, it, it, it could be bumpy for the next six months, um, but that, that does go hand in hand with investing. And at the same time, there's still big spreads between value and growth. I've looked at growth companies that, that I think are still at pretty um, large valuations that are overvalued. And then value companies that, that are cheap, like companies that if you buy them today at these levels, you, I think, will do very well and markets that are cheap. So what happens in the next six months, eight months, uh, not going to get too prescriptive, but I, I think there are good opportunities right now for long-term investors. 
Yeah, and you've been consistent with the idea that uh, you thought we would be having a recession at some point, and you've also been consistent on the inability to pin you down with short-term market forecasts. So I think our listeners appreciate that uh, consistency. Um, the rep, the blog post that you were referencing that people should check out on heritagefinancial.net is how do bear markets end? It's our most recent post, um, and it's really an excellent look at what Bob was talking about, particularly with a focus on corporate earnings and multiple expansion, and um, you know when when you can start to 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 feel like uh, the worst may may be behind us, just based on history and what's been going on. Anything else, Bob, on your? desk from an investment standpoint that uh, you think our listeners should know about? We're doing tax loss selling, looking at mutual fund capital gain distributions, a lot of year-end tax planning uh, right now, and just uh, about getting started on uh, 2023 capital market assumptions too. Um, so we're, we're busy, a lot to come, a lot of trade and activity um, that, that clients may see uh, much of it tax-driven as uh, we're wrapping up the year. Nice. Great. And so we have a listener question this week. And as a reminder, we uh, would love any feedback or questions that you have. And you can email us directly at wealthybehavior@heritagefinancial.net with your questions or, or thoughts on the podcast. We touched on this question a little bit earlier um, in the podcast today, but you know, basically taking it out of the context of FTX, do we own crypto? Do you own crypto? Do we invest in crypto? Why or why not? No, we don't own crypto. I don't own crypto. It, it was a, a little more interesting a few years ago. Um, but right now with cash yields where they are, where you can get risk-free 4% and just seeing the, the, the madness with FTX it run from crypto. If you have any, I would sell. Just because... The speculative nature of it, the um, it's, it's lack of an understanding of what you're getting into. What 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 in particular turns you off uh, as an investor? It's a non-earning asset, so right. you get no cash flow. You can buy a money market right now and get four percent, so you're not getting any cash flow from it. And it's just there's a ton of risk there. But just with FTX, have five hundred million dollars was stolen um, just from a hack, and it's a highly volatile asset. You know, part of the, the purpose of it was an inflation hedge. People said, well, inflation came and crypto yeah, went down do right. what, 60%. So yep. uh, I think it, it's kind of been tested and failed the test. So what purpose does it serve? And it, honestly, the only purpose I see for crypto is money laundering and illegal <laughs> nefarious activities. That th There's a purpose in the world for those things. I don't want to be part of it, though. Yeah, I think the other purpose is speculation, which, again, is not yes. investing and it's not something that we're going to do. Thank you, Bob. And thank you all for listening. If you're enjoying Wealthy Behavior, please subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And again, please send any questions or feedback to wealthybehavior at heritagefinancial.net. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Wealthy Behavior. If you found the conversation useful, please consider leaving us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and sharing this episode so those around you can live a rich life too. For more insights, subscribe to our weekly blog at heritagefinancial.net and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Check out my personal finance blog at thebostonadvisor.com. Wealthy Behavior is produced by Kristen Kastner and Michelle Kakadis. This educational podcast is brought to you by Heritage Financial Services, LLC, located in the greater Boston area. 
The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the speaker, are subject to change, and do not constitute investment advice or a recommendation regarding any specific product or security. There is no guarantee that any investment or strategy discussed will be successful or will achieve any particular level of results. Investing involves risks, including the potential loss of principal.